every time I try to live up to their expectations, I ended up getting disappointed because I realized I could never live up to people's expectations because they were so unrealistic. So this constant struggle of trying to please other people, trying to live up to other people's expectations, made me get into a shell. I had fear of everything, fear of rejection, fear of public speaking, fear of being judged, fear of disappointment. I realized all these feelings which had bottled up inside me for 19 years, was becoming unbearable and it was moving to the top of my body. And then I sat there uncontrollably crying for two hours. All these feelings which had bottled up inside me exploded. I just couldn't stop crying because I came to a realization that all this while I was living a life not to disappoint other people, but in that process, I was disappointing myself. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selig, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey, the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas what I call the seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, seven hatters. In today's episode, we are honored to chat with Raj Supermeyer as we explore hats one, three, and four, the soul, servant, and entrepreneur as we traverse the challenging terrain of professional growth and self-discovery. Raj, a truly influential certified leader and career coach, international speaker and author, has dedicated his life to leading teams and helping tech entrepreneurs succeed. With over 2,000 hours and 100 plus clients, Raj has assisted mid to senior level and C-suite executives in overcoming obstacles, confronting insecurities, and evolving into influential leaders. The secret to Raj's success lies in his ability to apply neuroscience-backed strategies to help professionals maximize opportunities and unlock their zone of genius. What's more, Raj's impressive journey has seen him on numerous TEDx stages, TV news segments, podcasts, and publications. His best-selling book, Skyrocket Your Career, has earned him the reader's favorite silver medal for best nonfiction book in 2021. So if you are ready to embark on a journey filled with insights, strategies, and personal growth, let's extend a warm welcome to Raj on The Seven Hats. Raj, welcome to The Seven Hats. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Oh, you're excited. I'm stoked to speak with you today because your expertise is in line with some of my favorite subjects that I've studied and experienced personally for many years as an entrepreneur. Topics that I believe all leaders struggle with throughout their career. You know, topics such as anxiety, fear of rejection, imposter syndrome, you know, trying to live up to other people's opinions, right? Lack of self-worth, all emotions that you attribute to creating toxic leaders. Mm -hmm. But before we get to those golden nuggets, Raj, I'm sure that you didn't become an expert on toxic leadership by reading a book. 
I'm sure that there's some back experience into that. And I'm sure that you also had a difficult journey that allowed you to become an expert in that field. Mm-hmm. But that journey probably began early on in your life. So I'd like to kind of go back and really understand the mindset of Raj. So let's go there. Raj, where were you born and how was your childhood like? So I grew up in the southern part of India from a place called Chennai. And again, for your listeners, Chennai is one of the five bigger cities in India, which actually fuels the revenue of the country. You have... uh, Bangalore, Mumbai, Kolkata, New Delhi, and then you have Chennai. So I was born in Chennai and I'm the younger of the two kids. And from a young age, I developed this inferiority complex, believing that I wasn't good enough. That's because my dad, since he was born, he studied in scholarships, right? And then you have my brother who like a super genius. He he has three masters and a PhD. And there I was the average kid who didn't do well in anything. You name it, sports, dating, academics, I was average in everything. And for those listeners who are from an Asian background, you could relate to this because when whenever a kid is born, you're pretty much given three options when we were growing up. You, you could become a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. And I chose the engineering path. And true story, in 17 years down the line, <laughs> I've been in tech for a long time. But the point is, one of the things which happens in Asian culture is you get compared a lot between your siblings, between the people around you, and that leads to a lot of anxiety, stress. And that's exactly what happened because there were I constantly kept comparing myself with other overachievers around me. And every time I tried to live up to their expectations, I ended up getting disappointed because I realized I could never live up to people's expectations because they were so unrealistic. So this constant struggle of uh, trying to please other people, trying to live up to other people's expectations made me get into a shell. So I was developing anxiety, stress, depression at a really young age. And I felt like an outcast. And this kind of was my uh, first 19 years of my life, right? I thought that's what who I am and uh, this is my life. In fact, funny thing, I just remember this. Um, I remember when I was in my eighth grade, I had this crush on a girl. And it took me like uh, three months just to say hi. I was that type of nervous wreck. I had fear of everything, fear of rejection, fear uh, uh, fear of public speaking, fear of being judged, fear of uh, disappointment. I had all these fears, anxiety, stress, depression. So that was till the age of 19. And then I had this episode. I still remember this moment vividly. I was in my study room at uh, when I was 19 years old. And this was in India. And all of a sudden my chest started hurting and the pain was increasing minute by minute. Then slowly my I could feel the tears uh, filling up my uh, eyes and then I could feel it trickling down my cheeks. I realized all these feelings which had bottled up inside me for 19 years was becoming unbearable and it was moving to the top of my body and then I sat there uncontrollably crying for two hours Like all these feelings which had bottled up inside me exploded, right? And I just couldn't stop crying because this is the thing. I came to a realization that all this while I was living a life not to disappoint other people, but in that process, I was disappointing myself. I was letting other people's opinions be my reality. And I was letting 
other people's labels defined who I was. That is, you're not good enough. You can only do this. You should only do that, right? And I was tired of living such a life. So that's when I decided, you know what? Screw society, screw people. I know I have my skill set. I know I have something to offer. I know I can carve my own identity and I know I can strive for greatness. So that's when I decided to take control of my life. And I literally took a paper and pen and then wrote down all my fears, right? I fear of being judged, fear of uh, public speaking, fear of the unknown, fear of disappointment. I had all these fears. And on the side of each fear, at that point of time, when I was 19, I just put stuff on the side saying, these are the things I'm going to do to get rid of that fear. And fast forwarding from that point when I was 19, when I had this uh, trigger event to now, 20 years down the line, I my whole journey has been overcoming these fears one by one. And that has pretty much defined my life and helped me in my transformation from a shy introverted kid earning a minimum salary into an international keynote speaker, author, and tech career and leadership coach, right? And that transformation would not have happened if not for this uh, low point in my life. And uh, yeah, that was pretty much a defining moment. And that's why I'm in tech and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Wow. So how were your father, because I'm assuming that your father and brother were the two influential people in your life in terms of expecting a lot of you. Mm-hmm. How did they deal with the fact that you weren't good enough in their eyes? What did they do on a daily basis with you? Did they make fun of you? Did they support you? How was the childhood and growing up through high school and, and probably through college like for you? Yeah. So I grew up as a chubby, fat kid throughout my life, and I was ridiculed for my body weight, you know, and they they thought that, okay, I have to think like my brother or I have to be like my dad. In fact, when I was young, I think when I was 10 years old, they took me to the doctor to get me mentally checked to see whether there was something mentally unstable. I remember this as well. They actually took me to a temple. So for I'm supposedly Hindu. I'm not religious, but apparently I'm Hindu, right? And Hindus believe in idol worship. And and they and we go to a place called temple to worship different idols. And then my parents took me there and then was praying and was uh, putting my head against the feet of an idol saying, give them knowledge, give them knowledge. So I went through all <laughs> I know it sounds funny right now, but at that point it was really traumatic experiences, right? So those are the things which were happening on a daily basis. I was constantly being compared say, to my brother. And if I didn't do it the way my brother does it, that means it's wrong. Or if I didn't do it the way my dad does it, then it was wrong. So I thought I'm going to screw up everything. And also, uh, they labeled me as stupid and not and dumb and not good enough. And then I took that to heart. But it took me a lot of years to realize that the truth of life is people are going to put different labels on you. Okay. You're not good enough. You don't matter. This is the best thing for you. This is only the, this is the good thing for you. But you are in control of what labels you want to associate yourself with. Because thoughts are always neutral. You label it as positive or negative, right? And it took me a while to realize that. So now I associate myself with labels such that I'm good enough. I can do this. Yeah, this is what I like. So I can, I have the power to choose where I want to go. And that realization came only when, when I hit the low point. But coming back to your question, my whole childhood experience was pretty depressing because it was full of comparisons. I used food as a coping mechanism and uh, I gained a lot of weight. 
uh, that's a whole story. And then January 1st, 2016, I decided, you know what, I'm going to change this. And I lost 50 pounds in six months. And since, since then, I've been 50 pounds lighter since January 1st, 2016. But the point is, I all these transformational things would not have happened if not for all these um, experiences which I had to go through as a child. And now these are all also good learning experiences for me because now I have a two-year-old kid and I want to make sure I don't do those things to my kid and give him independence, give him the freedom of speech and give him the power to think by himself instead of me saying, do this, this is the right thing for you. Daddy knows best, right? That's the Asian culture. <laughs> so now it, it, it's good that now I have a kid that I'm trying not to do those things because I don't want him to face the same trauma which I had faced. And uh, yeah, so that was kind of my whole background and experience growing up. Wow. You know, uh, my wife and I, we took a spirituality course in the Hare Krishna Center back when we first met. So I am very much aware of the deities and the statues and the the practices, which I thought was, yeah, I think they're very, they're fascinating, but, but they could also be a little crippling to a young kid who gets sat in front of a deity and, and proclaiming that they should be better than they are, right? So in that sense, you were not disowned at least because you were either a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer, you decided to become an engineer. Right. God knows what would happen if you decided to be a singer or a dancer, right? That would have been a complete <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> hey, I, I actually, I was a pretty decent singer, apparently. But in Asia, we only think about, okay, you need to have a stable job, high earning salary, then you need to buy a house, a car, then get married, have babies, and then take care of your babies, and then let make the babies go to school, and then make sure they have arranged marriages, and then make sure they are settled down, and then you die. So that's pretty much the whole cycle. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and there I was challenging the whole practice, right? From a young age, I used to ask questions about things I don't understand. But, and where I come from, you don't ask questions. You you follow things as it is and you don't challenge the status quo. If you do so, you get reprimanded for it, okay? And that also kind of followed me throughout my IT career as well, right? We are, at the start of the show, we were kind of talk, talking about toxic leadership. I was a toxic leader initially when I started leading teams. That is because of my childhood trauma, because because I was forced to listen to people just because they were in a higher position of authority. So when I got into leadership roles, I thought, you know what? People are not are now going to listen to me, irrespective of whether they like it or not. Little did I know that my past experiences working with other toxic leaders had made me become one and think like one. And in fact, my first TEDx talk, actually my second TEDx talk, is about it's called Confessions of a Toxic Leader. So I talk about that whole episode of how I identified as a toxic leader and came out of it. But coming back to the, again, the childhood experience, yeah, it literally shaped every part of my DNA growing up. And it took a lot of time for me to figure out what was what were the good things, what were the bad things, and then try to figure out how to get over there's bad things and, you know, do good for myself and people around me as well. Uh-huh. And so you went to school for, to become a technical engineer, IT engineer? What what was your major in, in school? So I have a bachelor's in information technology and a master's in software engineering. Uh, I did my undergrad in India, worked there for about four, four and a half years, and then 
came to the United States in 2008 to pursue my master's in software engineering. And it was hilarious because I still remember this. My whole life has been through different experiences, which actually made me stronger. And one of which was, this was also a defining experience in my career, which uh, made me realize that I'm more resilient than I think I am, right? So I come in August 31st, 2008 to the United States. September 7, 2008, Lehman Brothers, one of the biggest financial firms in the world, became bankrupt overnight. And for those young kids or young audience listening, just Google Lehman Brothers, you'll see. Uh, they were one of the biggest financial firms. They were in the United States and they became bankrupt overnight, right? And then that kind of was a landmark thing and triggered the whole recession. So getting jobs was so freaking hard. And that's when I entered the United States. I had student loans and uh, yeah, people weren't hiring even for internships. And from the beginning of 2009 till the end of 2009, I applied for 1,293 jobs, one, two, nine, three jobs. And guess how many uh, callbacks I got from it? Callbacks zero? <laughs> Close to that, I got four callbacks and then I converted one job and that was not a full-time job, but it was an internship. And then I worked my ass off for six months to prove to people that I could do the job. And luckily a company took a chance on me and sponsored my work permit. Uh, in the United States, you need something called a H-1B to work and they and the company needs to sponsor that. And luckily someone took a chance on me and the rest is history. Here I am now, I'm a US citizen talking to you. But the whole, the reason I say this is that the whole experience taught me that I'm more resilient than I think I am. Whenever the going gets tough, you really, that's a phrase, right? When the going gets tough, the tough gets going. It's the same thing. I decided that irrespective of what happens, you show up every day, do the work, be consistent. Those are the things which are going to be the key to make you better in irrespective of who you are, whether an entrepreneur or a full-time job, it doesn't matter. And I take those learnings still this day, doing the work, being consistent, and showing up even when you don't want to show up. Those are the three key things I believe you need to be successful. And of course, you also want to have a strategy on how you're going to do it. At that point of time, I didn't have a strategy. And now I tell people that you don't have to apply for that many jobs if you have a strategy, but you always have to be consistent, man, and do the work. That's when you're going to see the results. But yeah, going back to your actual question of the background thing, Initially came for master's in software engineering, and then I got a full-time job. And then I've been here since 2008, worked for about 78 companies. And for the past close to four years, I've been running my own company, coaching uh, leaders uh, in the tech space. You know, it's, it's, it's really great. I want to go back just for a second, because you said something that I think some of the seven hatters will pass by without really thinking twice about it. But I want them to go back and spend a second in just meditating on what you just said. It took you over a thousand applications to find a job during a very difficult time. I can't stress enough the small percentile that you're in, in terms of true grit and ambition and just proving to the universe that no matter what you throw at me, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to take the next step. And here you are. Because 99.9999999% of the people out there would have given up, let's say they're even ahead of the, the game, at 100, 200, 300, 400. How many applications? Most people probably give up after two. Mm -hmm. But that grit is what allowed you to not only become successful, but help others 
experience success because you found the secret. I know the secret. I've been through it. You've been through it. Anyone that is successful understands what it takes to be successful. It is not easy. No, whoever tells you that success is a magic pill that overnight, you know, that you're going to be able to make it is completely lying to you. So just you got to listen to people like you who have been there that know how to overcome not only family abuse and trauma, then prove that and then go out and say, you know what, I am smart and then get a master's, which obviously proves that you're smart, and then become resilient enough to take that information and go out and get a job in the worst economy in decades. I mean, kudos to you. I just want people to really focus on this point because that's what you just said is what it takes to become successful. And there's something called the immigrant's mindset, and I totally believe in it. So you come to a foreign land with no support system, with so many dreams of, uh, you know, making it big, and you are going to face obstacles. It's going to be really hard. But then we had to realize that life is like a tennis ball, you know. The lower it falls, at some point it's going to bounce back, okay. Sometimes it takes time, but you just had to keep showing up not losing hope, just keep showing up and it is going to come up at some point of time. And that's pretty much what happened, right? I had ups and everyone, just like everyone, I had ups and downs throughout my life. But then even at the low point, you learn a lot about yourself, right? I think I think everyone has to go through a low point in their life to actually realize their true potential. And usually you're left with two choices, right? One is you recognize it and then you think about, okay, what can I do next? Like, what's my next step? Or you can recognize it and then decide to be in the same state throughout your life. Unfortunately, there are certain percentages of people who uh, who are in the second uh, use case. But luckily, I chose the first one where I acknowledge that I'm in a really shitty situation. But then I don't want to go back uh, like half of my class who went back. Uh, to the near places. So I had a student debt and I had I had a dream and I really wanted to figure out some way or the other to achieve it, right? So it's about persistence and uh, with a focus, right? Persistence with focus, that's what I tell people. You don't blindly do stuff like how I was doing for the first 500 to 800 jobs, but then you actually start learning Analyze the data, see what you're doing, then switch it up a little bit. Analyze the data, switch it up a little bit. Analyze the data, switch it up a little bit. And then you start, you know, seeing different results and do it consistently and show up every day, every time. And that's pretty much, I think, the key for anything you do in life. You know, you could, for, I think there's a success. I don't know. I hate best word, best practices and success formula. But I would say based on my experience, when you actually have a strategy in place and do the work consistently, that's when actually you'll see results. Because life is all about the journey, not the results. So for example, I couldn't even speak in a crowd with more than two people, right? And then I gave a TEDx talk last year, which has over 350,000 views and it's still going viral. And I worked really hard to get to that point. But once you deliver the talk, it's done. Now you move on to the next one. But the journey it took 
for me to become the TEDx speaker, I've learned so much in the past seven, eight years. That's what is going to set me up for success in the future from a communication standpoint and from giving talks. Apart from, yes, the TEDx talk was successful, but then you are on a high and then it's over. Then you move on to the next one. That's why you need to focus on the journey and not the destination. Because sometimes from a destination standpoint, you may reach a destination or you may not reach it, but still throughout the journey, you would have learned something, right? This is what I tell people. It's like saying you create a YouTube channel and you want to become like someone else who has 1 million subscribers. So you put in so much effort on YouTube, but you get only 100,000 subscribers. You can crib about it saying, I didn't get 1 million subscribers, or you could rejoice saying, dude, I got 100,000 subscribers when I didn't have a YouTube channel in the first place. So again, that's why it's a journey which actually matters. And the destination is just a byproduct of it. Is your father still alive? Yes, he is. Uh, we have a decent relationship. He is in India. I think I've done a lot of things differently compared to anyone in my family because uh, from a young age, I won't call it a rebel, but I was just asking questions about things I don't understand. But they're, they'll term you as a rebel if you ask questions. And then I did another thing, which was um, from a personal standpoint, personal life standpoint, in the history of 150 years, no one has actually ever dated someone in my family, okay? The all, my all, arranged, all arranged marriages. All arranged marriages. And for, again, those of you who are listening do not know what arranged marriage is, it is basically in a lot of developing countries, in India included, what happens is it's just like a match.com, but say your parents are also involved, that's pretty much what arranged marriage is. And the way my parents got married was my mom has shown two pictures, picture of my dad and picture of his brother. And then my mom chose my dad, right? And my brother also had arranged marriage. Then here I was, the rebel here for those of you who cannot see, I'm putting air quotes here because I'm actually was a person just trying to think independently, but I was uh, labeled as a rebel. And then I jumped from North Pole to South Pole where I not only married someone outside our caste, but I married an American, Caucasian, Irish, German descent. Oh, <laughs> so now I have, so at that point, yeah, I was disowned by my family for a bit, but then um, now everything is okay. But yeah, because again, I came to a realization that you have only one life, okay? And if you're gonna do something to please other people, they'll die and that's it. The point, you have to live with the decisions you make in life. And uh, that's why uh, I had to, make some tough decisions and really amazing decisions for myself where I met my wife and she's Caucasian, Irish, German, and then we have a mocha baby right now, two years. So yeah, the moral of the story is I pissed off my parents quite a bit and my whole family. <laughs> but the point point is, again, I live true to what I say, which is uh, you get only one life. Yeah, There's a saying uh, by Confucius, uh, it goes like this, we all have two lives. And the second one starts only when you realize you have only one. One, yes. So if you start making decisions for other, based on other people, they not, they are not living your life. They'll say millions of things, but you are the person who has to live with the decision, yeah. right? And this example is related to my personal life, but it, the same thing holds true in whatever decisions you make in life. You have to make it 
based on what you feel is good for you. This, this is what I tell my clients. Be selfish to be selfless. You have to prioritize yourself first and then prioritize other people around you. I tell the, my two-year-old the same thing. My life does not revolve around you. You revolve around our lives. So you have to, you know, <laughs> make that distinction. And that's how it should be. You have to be really clear on where you want to go and what kind of decisions you make. It's okay. If you screw up something, at least you know, okay, you were the person who made the decision. And then you learn from it and then move on. But if someone made a decision for you and it is wrong, then you can never forgive the other person. So that's something you always have to keep in mind. You know, I, there are so many people listening right now that are confused, that have an inner battle going on right now within where they know what their mission in life, their dharma is, their their path, the true the truth of their life's uh, work, but are holding back because they want to uh, appease their wife or husband or parents or children. And what you're saying is so poignant because if we don't live to our best self, okay, I believe we are actually disappointing our soul because our soul comes here to live in this material universe, to experience all there is to experience. And by us listening to what other people suspect that we should go through, especially because it's coming from their experiences, not even from yours. And if you don't break away like you did, what you did was really interesting. You basically said, I'm taking my ego out of this situation and I'm going to follow my path. I'm going to follow my soul. So I really am totally admiring you because you're very rare. I just want you to know. Very, very rare. Not, there's so few people that are willing to sacrifice everything to go against the grain. Steve Jobs would have loved you because you Steve are the Jobs exact... Steve Jobs is one of my... Uh, idols. Yes, he was yeah. an asshole in real life, but the point is when it comes to being a visionary and this yeah. work ethic and stuff, it's it just amazing. And this is what I tell people, right, in the sense, you need to keep asking yourself that question. Are you surviving or th are you thriving? Are you surviving or thriving? Most of us are in the survival mode. Yeah. And we think that's what thriving actually means. No. And usually... You'll be in survival mode when you're just thinking about other people and not thinking about where for yourself and where you want to go. You start thriving when you do things for yourself, take care of yourself mentally, physically, and then it starts from you being strong mentally and physically, and then the that energy starts spreading to the people around you. If you yeah. don't take care of yourself, no one else is going to do that for you. Okay. Ab absolutely. And you have to prioritize yourself. That's why I tell my wife as well. You have to prioritize yourself first and then the kid and me. Because if you're not healthy, then it's going to affect the kid. And if you're not healthy, it's going to affect me. And I think that's where people need to start thinking about, okay, how does the priority start, right? Everyone will say, my kid is my top priority. No, I am the top priority for myself. And then if I'm strong enough, then I could really take good care of my wife and my kid. And that's where, yeah, you have to start putting boundaries. That's where you have to start having some clarity on what is really important for you. 
right? Yeah, just something to uh, think about. That's why hat number one, the golden hat, is self-love, self-care. Because without hat number one, it doesn't matter what you do with the other hats. Mm -hmm. It's really important to take care of yourself first. So let's, in the interest of time, as I can speak with you about your life for, for a long time to come, but I want to touch upon some of your experiences. So mm -hmm. you spent your entire career basically as a software engineer. I want to know what that experience was like and what was the catalyst for you to decide to leave that all behind, change course again, and become a two-time TEDx speaker, mentor, and coach, which is now becoming an entrepreneur. So leaving the corporate world and becoming an entrepreneur. What was that what experience like and what was the pivotal moment that made you change course? So throughout my tech career, I saw a lot of people like me who resembled my past me. When I say past me, I mean the underdogs who have been labeled as society as unfit <laughs> for society or do not have any talents. And then after repeatedly being told that they're not good enough, now they have carved an identity that they're not good enough. My The clients I work with are usually the underdogs, okay? And th that's why I'm very specific on who I work with. They have to be the past me because I want to let them know that you're better than this. And I want to bring them that mindset shift. But this is what I was noticing throughout my tech career where I was working with different people and then people were not ready to become the best version of themselves because they were contained by society or due to multiple factors. Then in 2013 timeframe, I started getting the leadership roles where I had to really talk to my direct reports and be in charge of their personal and career development. And I noticed that people telling me continuously, constantly saying, dude, you have a knack for motivating people and then making complex things sound so simple and then giving actionable steps to help people move forward. And they repeatedly kept telling me this. And then in 2014, 15 timeframe, I was earning a six-figure salary. Everything was good, but I felt that there's still something missing in my life, right? Because I felt that I was not impacting people in the way I can. So what I did was, unlike contrary to popular beliefs, where you'll say, you'll people say, you have this vision, go, take both feet in and then go and pursue your dreams. Yes, I want to pursue my dreams, but I'm a strategy guy. So what I did was I uh, started my company, my current company on the side. And then I want to experiment with what am I passionate about and what can I do to impact people? So. Funny thing is in 2015, I started my company and I uh, I had a full-time job and I was doing my uh, side hustle. I did tech workshops, teaching people how to code. I did that for a year on the side. And that was a lot of money, but then again, it, didn't, it wasn't giving me impact. And then I started writing for different companies, writing their blog posts, eBooks for tech companies. A lot of money. But again, I was not having an impact. And now it is 2017. And then I had to go back to the drawing board and see, man, still I'm not getting that impact. And then I um, started reminding myself about what, what people used to tell me, that I'm a really good leader. I really motivate people. I really inspire people. And I really help them uh, shape their careers and personal life. And I said, you know what? I think that's what I think I should do. And at that point, I'd already built a network. Uh, people knew me in the industry. So I pivoted 
and then started doing career and leadership coaching. And I wanted to narrow down my scope. So I specifically focus only on people in tech because they can speak the same language. That's why I don't brand myself as a, like a life coach or business coach. I'm a tech leadership coach, tech industry. If you're not from the tech industry, then I usually do not help people. But if you're in tech, in engineering, you know, or you want to go into tech engineering jobs, not sales and marketing, tech engineering jobs, that is my focus. So once I was able to narrow down the scope, again, it took a lot of experimentation. That's when I started seeing that impact. I changed people's lives by helping people, immigrants get a job within 90 days. If not, they would have had to go back to their native country, have helped them get jobs in Microsoft, Amazon. I've helped uh, single moms get 30% increase in their salary. I've helped uh, a lot of people of color who are underpaid, get into leadership roles and then get the money they deserve. So day in and day out, I've started, I've changed so many people's lives. And that's what actually uh, inspired me to do this full time. And so in 2017, I started experimenting with stuff. And then in 2018, I started doing this full time and left my really high paying job to pursue this, right? So coming back to your question of when the calling was, it was 2013 that I wanted to make an impact. But then it took a lot of experimentation. I did a hybrid approach where first I started as a side hustle. And then once I did some experimentations, then I figured out what I wanted to do. And then I uh, made my side hustle into a full-time hustle. And the reason I'm telling all these details is people have this wrong notion that if you want to become an entrepreneur, you immediately blindly go into something. No, you can still do a hybrid approach, experiment with, with what you want to do, figure out what your niche is. Once you figure out the niche, make sure you've established some trust and credibility, and then you can pivot into it. So you can take a very strategic approach into entrepreneurship rather than just going, you know, both feet in without knowing what you actually want to do in life. Yeah, I, I, I relate. My first business was a failure. I, I left the corporate world, which I was in for about seven years, and I started a business. We started a skincare line, a CPG brand. And that was a failure and to a point where after four or five years or so, I was forced to go get a job. And that led me to go back to the corporate world. And I still had an idea of creating another business, which my wife actually somehow said yes to after me being in a million dollars worth of debt and, and really in, in bad shape. But I had to get a job in order to support us. So for eight years, I was working at my corporate job and building the business at the mm -hmm. same time because that was the only way that I can give back to the business without taking a salary and still work and support you know, the team. So I was putting in 100, 120 hours a week, but it was a necessity and that's the strategy. So I think you're right. You gotta be smart. Just being an entrepreneur is one thing, but you need the hustle. And if, and if, you're, not, if you're not financially stable and you have a family to feed, Try to do, you know, nights and weekends. I mean, most people won't even want to do that. So if you're really an entrepreneur, you should be able to do a side hustle. So I think this is a good segue to discuss toxic leadership because I think what you've learned in the corporate world that allowed you to understand, wait a second, I'm being like my dad and my brother and I'm leading, right, or mentoring people and they're probably feeling about me the same way I felt about them. Because mm -hmm. I'm demanding control and not earning control. 
And that's what leadership is all about, right? You can have, John Maxwell has his leadership mm-hmm. books. There's five levels in his case of leadership. The first level, which is the easiest one, is, hi, I'm your boss. Do what I say. And the fifth level is, I'm going to follow you anywhere because I just believe in you. Mm-hmm. Okay? And toxic leadership is definitely on the you know earlier stages of, of leadership. Right. right? So let's start with the basics. What is a toxic leader? So a toxic leader is someone who creates this environment where people cannot challenge the status quo. They, they'll be judged if they raise issues. There's no f- freedom of speech. There's no transparency. He or she creates that kind of environment because of multiple reasons. In my case, it was because of my childhood trauma and experiences. And what that happens is it directly feeds into a lot of factors where people get demoralized, they leave the company, you know, they get mental health problems. And the leader, who's the toxic leader, will make sure he or she does everything so that he or she benefits from it. They'll start taking credit for other people's actions. They will wantonly insert themselves into conversations or situations which would be beneficial for their growth. Always thinking about them, not about the team. And if it means sabotaging other people to get to where they are, they would do it as well. And how do I know? Because I did those things. And that's what a toxic leader does, right? For example, WeWork, the company which provides co-working space, Adam Mm -hmm. Newman, the founder of uh, WeWork, at the time he founded it, I think way back in 2010, it was valued at $39 billion. It was one of the fastest growing startups in history. And the way he motivated people was that he said, um, we're going to solve world hunger and we're going to help people and get rich in the process. So taxi leaders can also talk the talk. They can, they're very dynamic like me and they can influence people to follow their footsteps. But the problem is due to childhood traumas and other multiple factors, the more success they start seeing, they start doing questionable things just yeah. to for their growth because they love success and they get attracted to it. And by end of, uh, I think, 2019, Adam Newman was pushed out of his own company yep. because of toxic leadership, right? And uh, that hopefully that gives an idea and what happens to toxic leaders, uh, why they do what they do, and usually what happens, they destroy the work culture in organizations. Yeah. I wonder if Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, in your opinion, is a toxic leader or was a toxic leader? I would say in certain aspects, yeah, because um, they were really focused on the vision of the company and doing good. But uh, a byproduct of that is sometimes they forget that there are other human beings actually involved. That's why I said, you know, Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, and they, they have their weaknesses, but at least they have focused on, you know, doing good and making the, you know, doing an impact, right? But not all toxic leaders are like that. They're, they don't care about the impact. They want to make sure they get rich. They yeah. take care of themselves, right? So that's a slight distinction. But I think with all the great leaders, and innovators, they always have a weakness, right? Just like any human being. And I think for Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, their vision to make the world a better place and uh, impact the world was higher, bigger than any cause. Uh, It came in the sacrifice of their families and their personal life, right? So, yeah, I think that's where the distinction is. 
Yeah, I mean, great heroes, but but I agree. I wouldn't want to be working for them too long. So there's a lot of talk about toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Toxic masculinity refers to gender-specific traits, right? Of acting like a bully, avoiding losing at all costs, restraining emotions, you know, except for pride and anger, right? And being dominant. Mm-hmm. A while back, I had a podcast with uh, Pradeep Sangha, who wrote the book titled The Complete Man. Mm-hmm. It was a fascinating, actually, it was a fascinating conversation where Pradeep spoke specifically to men and teaches them that victory doesn't mean scoring more points than the other guy, right? Victory mm-hmm. means getting past the internal barriers, uh, most of which are self-created, uh, that keeps them from becoming the man that they have the potential to be. But thinking back to that episode, you know, it was a pretty much tailored towards men. Mm-hmm. How similar is toxic masculinity to toxic leadership. And do you believe that toxic leadership, and this is the main question, do you believe that toxic leadership is found more in men or is it balanced between the genders? Because you were saying he or she a little bit before. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. that means that there's both uh, toxic leadership in both genders. But do you find it more leaning towards one gender or another? And do you see a resemblance to toxic masculinity? That's a great question. Wow, there's so many actually, so many factors related to this question, right? It's like saying, uh, I love computers. And then you have so many different things when it comes to computers. But dissecting your question into different parts, first talking about toxic masculinity, I think definitely that's one of the aspects that could lead to toxic leadership, especially in some cultures, including mine. Men are said, suck it up. You can do this. You're not supposed to have emotions. Right. And that's how I grew up. That's why I hate the movie Boys Don't Cry. I hate the title. The point is, I think everyone has emotions. And only when you recognize it and live through it, that's when you start realizing, okay, what has actually happened? When you just keep uh, masking your feelings, at some point, it is going to haunt you and you are going to blow up. Right. Similar to the book you mentioned, there's another book called Mask of Masculinity, I think, by Lewis House which talks about this as well. And I, yeah, so I totally believe that if you're a man in a leadership role, you shouldn't show a sign of weakness. But now research shows that showing your vulnerability actually earns more trust from the team, making you an effective leader. So the research proves that you have to be vulnerable. Whenever you come in mistakes, own up to it. When other people come in mistakes, instead of reprimanding them, share similar experiences of you committing mistakes and what you learn from them. And that's how you let people know that, yes, you're the leader of the team, but you're human first and the leader next, right? Yeah. And uh, so I definitely feel toxic masculinity is a part of becoming a toxic leader, apart from the childhood trauma and other things which we talked about. For the second part of your question, do you see more in men? Do you see more men toxic leaders? Is uh, women are involved as well or not. Unfortunately, there are only 25% of leadership roles have women. Okay, so the point is, so uh, there are more male toxic leaders than women toxic leaders. That's because of women, very few women in leadership roles, especially in tech. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's a study, I think, to, 
the the number has been the same since the 1960s which is crazy and that's why it's a whole different topic of diversity in leadership and women in leadership that's a whole different topic so usually what happens is 75% of the people in leadership roles are men so <laughs> that's why men tend to you tend to have more men male toxic leaders compared to women but i have based on my experience i've also seen women toxic leaders what's that uh, medical company name uh, there's also a show tv show on it where they had a fake device teranos right so the point is <laughs> everyone <laughs> so that was a woman who was a toxic leader so the point is they to- toxic leaders can be anywhere okay it doesn't matter what gender you identify yourself with it's something which develops doesn't i don't think it develops overnight it 100% a majority of it is from your childhood trauma and your past experiences which define and shape who you are the question is are you ready to actually recognize stuff and then make changes or continue being the same right i i remember when i was a toxic leader i knew i was guilty and i used to find it hard to sleep at night because i knew i was doing stuff which is going to benefit me not other people in fact i go into details in my terex talk and the the night where i realized these things and i did some crazy things that you'll see in my terex talk but the point is yeah i definitely think it's irrespective of the gender you can have toxic leaders but unfortunately you see more male toxic leaders because they're only yeah. more men in leadership roles compared to women are people from different genders. Yeah, it's funny because you're, you're you're talking about awareness. So, it you know, obviously toxic leadership is very dangerous to company culture and I would suspect that it's easier to identify as being a toxic leader if you're not at the helm of the organization, right? If you're a manager for instance, as a in a leadership role, you probably have a good chance of being called out because you have in in one of your stories with your boss uh on the review that you left right mm-hmm. uh so there's a good chance of being called out on one of your one-on-ones but as a leader of the organization how can we identify the fact that we are toxic leaders you know for the most part subordinates are not going to speak up and tell you you're a toxic leader because they're you know they're afraid of being reprimanded or shunned but not everybody has the awareness you had where you can sleep at night and you're probably more like Steve Jobs in the sense where you think you're right and everybody else is stupid. So so right. what do you what do you tell leaders like at the top on how to identify whether they're a toxic leader or not? I think you always need to have a support system to bring you back to reality, right? That's where a therapist helps, uh your significant other helps, your trusted manager or friend or colleague helps to bring you back to reality. You want someone to not to bullshit with you and then just straight away say it, say things as it is yeah. if you're doing something wrong you need someone in your trusted circle to call you out the problem happens is if you're alone you don't have a support system then you have no way to recognize all these things for example in my case i had my boss uh and then i had my wife and then i had another trusted friend who i could talk to and that really helped me to visually see what was happening within myself so my advice for leaders is have a support system number 1 and number 2 is um, you need to have a good feedback mechanism 
what I mean by that is there should be some way you get constant feedback from your uh, people above you and below you to, to know exactly what's happening. And if there are any improvement areas, that's then you probably want to, uh, I think it's up to your boss and your leaders who are helping you out to make sure, you know, you take action towards it, apart from you recognizing it as well, right? So support system, feedback mechanism, and third thing is always remember that no matter what happens, there's always going to be people above you, always going to be people below you. Yeah. Jeff Bezos, yes, can be the richest person, but then now Elon Musk is the richest person, right? So the yeah. point, irrespective of what happened, there's always going to be people above you, people below you in terms of fi financial power, in terms of uh, mental, physical power. So there's no limit. So the limit is what you said for yourself. So you just have to analyze that limit where you are going and then go with that instead of uh, trying to be the richest person in the world, which is an endless goal. Like there's no point being the richest person, but at some point, because at some point there's going to be someone else. So you just have to come to realization. And I think those three things really would help people in leadership roles in, uh, you know, leading with more empathy and creating an environment of psychological safety where people are more open to challenge the status quo uh, without having fear of being judged by the co-workers and colleagues. Or be like me, get a great co-founder who is going to tell you and look forward to telling you when you're messing up. So <laughs> it's the joy of his day when I mess up and he tells me about it. But right. you also have to be open to, to listening and, and taking in that information. So let's move on to another topic that really holds most entrepreneurs back, and that is imposter syndrome. You have a lot of experience there or really comparison to others and believing that you're not good enough. You know, Theodore Roosevelt famously said, comparison is the thief of joy, but comparison could be very effective in motivating the entrepreneur in reaching their goals, right? That they would yep. never otherwise have achieved if they don't compare. What are the different types of comparisons and can comparison actually fuel your growth? Right, so this actually relates to my uh, first TEDx talk. Uh, I give a catchy title that com comparison saved my life. But the point is, in that, I talk about how comparing myself to other people, contrary to some of the things which I mentioned in this podcast, actually helped me, right? So, for example, I don't know whether some of you folks listened to the first part of our conversation where I gave an example of a YouTuber who wanted to become a YouTube influencer. He was comparing himself with a, another person with one million subscribers, Yep. So he learned how to do YouTube. He learned how to shoot videos. He learned how to transcribe them. He uh, learned how to communicate better. And then he started increasing followers from zero to 100,000. Okay. Mm -hmm. But he set a path that, okay, in two months, I want to reach 1 million, 1 million. But in two months, he reached only 100,000. Yeah. The point is, if you look back and see what he has done, at first, he never had a YouTube account. He never knew how to monetize. He never knew how to communicate. He never knew how to edit videos. He never knew what actually goes into this process. And from zero, he actually grew his audience to 100,000. Yeah. So that would not have happened if he didn't compare himself with another person with 1 million followers, right? That was just a random example just to set give people some context. So you always need to have someone or something as a goal. And again, it's a journey what matters it's not the destination so that's what people have to remember when you compare yourself with others just because you didn't get one million followers in my example doesn't mean you're a failure 
because you already have 100,000 followers and you can still monetize, right? Yeah. And maybe you have only 100,000 followers because uh, you learned something, different things from it where in TikTok, you have 200,000 followers compared to the other person who has 1 million followers who doesn't have a TikTok account. See, there are so many multiple factors. So don't take things verbatim. Have a high-level goal of, okay, this is where I want to go. But then in the journey, you're going to learn a lot, right? So that's what you need to think about. And I believe comparison is good. Today, in this day and age, in this digital world, we are taught not to compare ourselves with others. And I think that's wrong. Kids have to be taught to compare themselves in a healthy way. That's where in the talk, I talk about two types of comparison, right? You have upward comparison and you have downward comparison. Upward comparison is comparing yourself with someone who is ahead of you in terms of something, say YouTube followers or fame or whatever that could be. Mm -hmm. Downward comparison is comparing yourself with other people who are below you, who are not in the same status as you from a financial standpoint or from a health standpoint. So focusing on upward comparison can help to actually fuel your growth if you're mindful to focus on the journey and not the destination. So that is something I think people need to think about because you really need to have some goal right? If there was no Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, I don't think there would have been so many other entrepreneurs who want to be like them. Yep. But at the same time, they don't want, they still want to have some family life, but still want to impact the world. So you need to always have a milestone. It's just like a marathon. You cannot just say run marathon, right? <laughs> you need to have a goal. Okay. Which is your finish line? And how many miles is it? That's where I'm going with this. And then in the journey of running the marathon, you're going to discover a lot about yourself. You're healthy or healthy or not. You're fit, you're fit or not. You're mentally strong, strong or not. You, then you can make friends with other people who are running with you. Uh, you learn a lot about your body. That's what I'm talking about. So hopefully all these examples hits home the idea that upward comparison is really good and you have to focus on the journey and not the destination. I love that. It's it's what you said. It's healthy comparison, which means that the upward comparison should be your goal of achievement and your downward comparison should be your progress so far. So you can take a look at both of them at the same time and try to understand where you are in the journey. And if you take the best out of each one, then you can actually utilize both for your success. What's the What's the one habit that you feel got you to where you are right now? Consistency. You got to be consistent, man. You know, or people, I'm a huge into fitness and stuff. I mean, I went to my weight loss journey. So that's why I'm using a fitness metaphor. Uh, this is not against any people who do not work out or something. But for me, it, like, like a lot of uh, fitness folks would say that you know you're motivated when you show up the day when you actually do not feel like working out at all. That's yeah. the real definition of success those are the people who stand out from other folks right and it's the same thing you you really want to uh, be consistent and uh, irrespective of what happens the world may fall the you know there could be a thunderstorm whatever if you set a goal of doing this every day you do it it's just like kobe man kobe Bryant. i'm huge into basketball uh, his soul rest in peace but that guy had the Mamba mentality. Yeah. He, he, if you listen to his, uh, any of his uh, talks, he would, or you know, interviews, he'll say he signed a contract with himself. That summer, he says that 
I'm going to work out every day for three months and practice at least 500 free throws. I signed a contract. There's no going back. So that's what he says, right? So similarly, you sign a contract with yourself that, okay, I'm going to show up every day respect of what happens. And that's when you're going to see real growth. It's going to be slow. Okay, but then things will happen because I think in this digital age, no one believes in the power of uh, delayed gratification. Mm. You see these influencers on Instagram and then with their six pack or this mansion and then immediately everyone wants to become like them. But no one knows the inside story that it took them 25 years to get there or they're having a false persona just to have that social media presence. We don't know the inside story. So what I'm trying to say here is you really have to believe in small, small results. And over a period of time, it's going to amplify. And then you're going to start seeing real growth. You just have to be patient. And it comes down to the basics of being consistent. Consistency is the key. And also while doing that, remember, there's this saying, there's a fine line uh, between uh, obsession, dedication, and perfection, right? Fine line between obsession, dedication, and perfection. So when you're doing something, it's a very act of doing it. That's what actually creates a habit. That's why I love this book, Atomic Habits by James Clear. He talks about the same thing, small, small steps to actually create that habit. So those are some things, you know, I think we all have to keep in mind, including me. Again, by the way, I'm talking, don't ever think I'm perfect. I have my own periods of time where, you know, I don't feel like doing stuff. But you can miss one day, but then next day you just, again, get back, you know, and then start doing stuff. And I think that's the key to success. You know, uh, my I used to play violin. My dad is a violin maker. And he had this saying when I was young, and I'll never forget it. He said, if you don't practice one day, no one will notice. If you don't practice two days, you will notice. If you don't practice three days, the world will notice. Right. So it's the same thing with consistency. I've been trying to do P90X for three years now, right? Uh-huh. And just do the, the, the right. perfect P90X. But it was never perfect because I start and I miss a day and I'd like, okay, I start over again. But it doesn't matter. I'm still doing it for right. three years. And it's still, the workout is still there, even though it's not perfect, even though I'll probably never get that full 90-day perfection because of my schedule. But I think that's, those are really wise words. So, and again, it's right. a journey that matters. See, it's you've a journey worked out for matters. three years and you, you feel stronger, you feel fitter, even though you didn't finish the destination of the all 90 days. That's what I think we both have been talking about repeatedly yep. since the start. It's about the journey, not the destination. Yeah. Consistency is absolutely the key and one of the the, the number one or two you know uh, reasons for success. So Raj, what a fascinating conversation. I'd like to close out my interviews with the following question. Mm-hmm. Who did you have to stop being and who did you need to become to manifest your current success? So the question was who I had to stop being and who I had to become to manifest my... I had to stop being this person who is living in false identity because I was letting other people's opinions define me, right? And who I had to become is to trust myself to manifest the future I want to have. Because I firmly believe we all are born on this earth for a reason. Everyone has their unique skill sets. But it's the matter of 
whether you're putting the effort to actually explore them and then figure out what they are. And I believe that those things will happen only if you start believing in yourself. Irrespective of where you are in your life, you have those skills. You just have to believe in them and then start experimenting with them to see what is going to really help you and help other people around you. Raj, I absolutely loved our conversation. I want you to know I'm a big fan. Tell the Seven Hatters, who I'm sure are also big fans at this point, what you're currently up to and how they can connect with you. So currently, I'm super excited to be working on my online course, which will be releasing probably in a month. I finished designing the course, and uh, it's called Two Weeks Notice. So it's for people <laughs> who, uh, you know, now in the it. period of recession, they're looking to see how they can figure out their ideal careers, how they can ace interviews, do salary negotiation, how to be successful at work, how to be dreamers. So I'm going to cover all those things. I finished designing it. I just have to rec record hundreds of videos <laughs> which I put <laughs> in the course. Uh, I'm really excited for that. So that's the next big thing. You should expect something in the fall. Uh, and if you subscribe to my newsletter, on my, if you go to my website, you'll get a pop-up. You'll get you know updates on this. Uh, the way, best way to connect with me is my website, rajsubra.com, R-A-J-S-U-B-R-A.com, where you'll find videos of what I do, uh, details about how I help people. Uh, all my work is on my website. And I also have a book called Skyrocket a Career. So if you go to skyrocketyourcareerbook.com, there you can download the first chapter for free and then figure out whether it's your cup of tea even before buying it, right? Well, it's, it's award-winning too, right? The book? Yeah, so it won the 2021 uh, Silver Medal for the best nonfiction book. So for those of you who don't know what the reader's favorite silver medal is, it's think of it like the Oscars for movies. You have reader's favorite for books. And mine won the silver medal for best nonfiction book in 2021. I've sold over 4,000 copies till now. And uh, all proceeds actually go to nonprofits, uh, mainly refugees, the Rohingya refugees in Bangladesh, Toys for Tots, and all the charities I support is there. I also have an online shop where I print out, I make shirts like this. Uh, currently I'm wearing a Let's Do Epic Shit shirt. Uh, my wife and I design each and every t-shirt and uh, merchandise and all of the proceeds go to the different charities listed on the website. Um, I don't make any money off it. So yeah, that's the best way to support me. And I also live on LinkedIn. So literally <laughs> you connect with me in LinkedIn, follow me and then, yeah, you can just hit me up there as well. Um, and I think, uh, in the show notes, I'll send you some special codes, discount codes your readers can use so that they can get like 50% discount from the merchandise and stuff. And they could also get the free ebook uh, copy if they use a special link. So I will send that uh, and you can put that in the show notes as well. I will. Raj, you're an inspiration. You're an immigrant that's now living the American dream. I'm an immigrant that's living the American dream. And I think only America could put us in this situation. But it's not America, it's the hard work and the ability to uh, express yourself in the way that you desire to in order to live your best life. Raj, such a pleasure. And I'm sure we're, we're gonna keep the conversation going. And maybe one day I'll hope to have you back on the show. Thank you again for being on The Seven Hats. Thanks for having me, man. And I also want to acknowledge you for showing up each day and bringing different guests and then inspiring people as well. So uh, I know it's a lot of work to do a podcast. <laughs> so 
acknowledge your effort and the impact of the world as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Raj. Let's end today with the show segment that I refer to as What Can We Hang Our Hat On? And here is my takeaway. See, Raj's inspirational story should teach us to reflect on the importance of living up to our own expectations and not letting the weight of others' judgments and emotional baggage define who we are. In life, it's essential to understand the theory of having your cup full. When your cup is empty, you fall into the despair of self-loathing and emptiness, where you can't give any of yourself to those that you love. The prevailing thought in our culture to remedy this problem is to fill your cup. And that sounds great. But when your cup is full, you may feel like you can give to others. But the truth is, to truly show up in this world, your cup needs to be overflowing. Only when you have 100% of your cup and the rest flowing to others, can you make a meaningful impact in their lives. As we strive for greatness, we will inevitably face the challenges of looking up at those who have achieved more than us. It can be painful, but if we embrace the opportunity to learn from them and avoid the imposter syndrome effect, we can push ourselves to grow even further. On the other hand, looking down at those who haven't reached our level of success might feel good for a while, but it ultimately stunts our growth and prevents us from reaching our full potential. Remember, the key to living a fulfilling life is to focus on your growth, journey, and most importantly, overflowing your cup. As the great poet Rumi once said, when you do things from your soul, you feel a river moving in you, a joy. So let's take that wisdom to heart and strive to fill our cups. So they overflow with love and passion and joy, enabling us to make a lasting impact on those around us. And one more thing. Sometimes when you can't meet others' expectations of you, you should do as Raj suggested. Screw society, screw people, and know that you have something to offer. Know that you can carve your own identity and know that you can strive for greatness and take control of your life. I believe in you, and so do the seven hatters. And until next time, keep pushing forward, and remember, you are more than enough. I want to thank Raj once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from his wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you receive from it so that we can attract even more high-quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you.